to the phones, we're going to go to my friend Victoria Coates, who worked in the Trump administration and national security. How are you? Eric, it's good to hear your voice. I'm very well. So yeah, I, I want to talk to you. Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to throw a wild card at you before we get into the Israel <laughs> Hamas thing because, you know, we, we've got the UFO report coming out very soon. Everybody's uh-huh. talking about it. I just put this thread up on Twitter. This So China, it seems to be the logical logical conclusion here is that it's got technology that it's deploying, except the Chinese don't have a history of developing unique technologies. They steal from us and then half-ass it, if I can say that on my radio show, that they, they I mean, like their their aircraft carrier, its maiden voyage caught on fire, uh, their high-speed rail line to Tibet, the bridge tipped over, uh, their major dam expansion down near Shanghai burst. Uh, they never seem to get stuff quite right, and I have a hard time believing they on their own have come up with some incredible technology. Maybe it is them. There's got to be a logical explanation, but the Chinese just aren't as great as the American media would have you believe. No, and I think you raise an excellent point in the lights of the Wall Street Journal article that dropped overnight about the potential infection from the mm-hmm. lab, the Wuhan lab. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't have a history of, of being, you know, 100 feet high and, and, and perfectly executing these projects, rather that they can be extremely sloppy. And, you know, a lot of countries around the world that have accepted their bids on various projects have learned this to their sorrow. Um, so, you know, whatever explanation there is for all the exciting photographs that are going around and, you know, we all hope maybe there are little green men that are about to pop out of of one of the national labs. Uh, I, I will say that as a former employee of the department of energy, I never saw any evidence of it, but, uh, you know, here's hoping. But I, yeah, I definitely I, don't think it's China. I, I just the, the the American media seems to me when it comes to China, and, and it really you're, you're you're right. This this does tie so much into the Wuhan report. There's there's this fixation on the the superiority of China. Tom Friedman, of course, I remember. I think I've told you the story. I was on a train with him one time where the the porter mm-hmm. actually picked up his plates because we were coming into Washington D.C. and he snapped at the guy about the inferior service that this would never happen in China. He seems uh, fixated on the superiority of China that infects the American media, which uh, I guess leads them in addition to their Trump hatred uh, to never be able to acknowledge that, you know, maybe this did slip out of a lab in China through carelessness or something. Well, and, and, you know, I've been thinking since I read the, the journal piece, you know, what, what if in, in the end, what brings down the PRC is, you know, death by a thousand lawsuits or by a billion lawsuits. You know, what if this is the mm-hmm. most significant man-made disaster literally in history and everyone has a suit to bring for damages? Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you survive that? What, you know, what, what does that look like? Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think if this is proven to be true, you know, we, we are in uncharted waters, you know, certainly, you know, China is a large, powerful co- country with a lot of resources, but, but I don't know how they how they would be able to survive that when you have everyone from Exxon to the local pizza shop with a valid suit. Right. And, and then, of course, you've got all the people from Chile and, and Sri Lanka and others who got the Chinese vaccine that doesn't appear to do a whole lot of good in containing the coronavirus. I, so, Brazil. OK, l- let me let me shift gears <laughs> with you now to, to the Israel-Palestine uh, situation. I uh, just a little while ago before you came on noted that the new talking point out there is the uh, anti-Semitic and Islamophobic violence. 
And Axios uh, has run a story on the, let me read it to you so I get it right, uh, vandalism and harassment fueled by anti-Semitism and Islamophobia has been reported to law enforcement and shared across social media platforms throughout the U.S. and Europe following two weeks of bombardments between the Israeli government and Hamas. Now, they list the anti-Semitic and the Islamophobic attacks, uh, four of them. One is uh, attacks on Jewish people in London. Uh, Another one is attacks on Jewish people in Times Square. Another one is attacks on Jewish people in Los Angeles. And another one is attacks on Jewish people in Chicago. And and I can't find the Islamophobic attacks. Well, I think you've really put your finger in it, on it. It's, it's, this just compulsion to find an equivalence. And, and if you look at it, you'll see the, the State Department spokesman, uh, Ned Price, came out yesterday to footstomp Secretary Blinken's statements on the Sunday shows about how both the Palestinians and the Israelis have an equal right to live in security and peace. And, and it's this idea of equivalence, that these two sides are equal, that is the root of the problem here. Uh, it's what the Abraham Accords gave the lie to last year, that they are no longer equal, if they ever were, uh, that, that even you know, UAE and Bahrain see the very obvious benefits of having a relationship with the modern nation state of Israel that the Palestinians simply have no claim over. And so you know, our media, the current administration, are frantically trying to stuff that genie back into the bottle – uh, but but there's no there there as you say there there are no Islamophobic attacks uh, there are there is only anti-Semitic violence. Yeah, the the, the the moral equivalence on the left right now, and, and clearly a talking points out Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, Ayanna Presley, uh, Cory Bush, multiple Democrats in Congress condemning anti-Semitism and Islamophobia in in their tweets and public statements. Uh, hard pressed to actually find the Islamophobic attacks, but there clearly does seem to be a uh, disproportionate disinformation campaign in the media in defense of Hamas and the Palestinian territory, including going to the the bombing of the Mosque building that actually had the Associated Press and Al Jazeera inside the building. That, by the way, had been documented in the Atlantic uh, years ago as the AP was in that building operated by Hamas and suddenly broad denial. So I guess let, let me form this into a particular question for you. Having been in the Trump administration, having seen the peace deals that the Trump administration was able to think out of the box and get and the media condemn them, I mean, how do you see the American media's coverage of the situation and, and how can Israel navigate that coverage to actually get the truth out? Well, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous situation, and what compounds it is it's being echoed by the Israeli press, which is also extremely biased toward the left, even, even though the left in Israel is in complete disarray. Uh, the, the media is echoing the U.S. echo chamber of shifting support for Israel, that the administration doesn't support Israel anymore, that the Congress is, is, is shifting in its support I mean, really, you just have a couple of extremely media savvy, loud individual voices in the form, particularly of the squad, who you know are trying to push this narrative. But if you scratch the surface, the vast majority of the American people support Israel, and it's it's not even close. And so you find you know situations like uh, you know these votes that took place in the House uh, last week on 
sanctioning Hamas and, and some other pro-Israel uh, measures. And I bet those members, I mean, because all the Democrats voted against taking these actions, mm-hmm. when those guys are back in their districts this week, I think they're going to get an earful because the numbers just don't play out. And I, I, I think it's a huge mistake and uh, overreach on the part of the Democrats, which is being fueled, as you said, by the media. Well, it, it, speaking of the Abraham Accords, I thought it was very notable that uh, Pal- the Palestinians and Hamas got support from Pakistan, Malaysia, and Indonesia. But it was remarkable. Bahrain, Oman, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, largely quiet on the issue, uh, which I guess shows John Kerry was wrong that uh, there can be separate pieces to be had. No, I think I think that's very much the case. And I, I tracked all that very, very carefully throughout the, the two weeks of conflict and the statements, uh, you know, particularly Sheikh Abdullah, uh, the the foreign minister for the UAE, it was extremely measured in his in his statements. In some ways, he, he came out as more pro-Israel than than the Biden yeah. administration did, which was was quite a historic moment. Um, so I think, you know, the, history is marching on in the region and things are changing. And yet, you know, this administration seems to be insisting on returning to the carry policies of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And that, that it's just it's disconnected from reality. It's going to backfire on them. Uh, but it's 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 certainly encouraging to see the Abraham Accords enduring, even, you know, with the, the lack of support from from the administration. Now, let's shift a little bit and, and talk about Iran, because if you could, uh, so many people, in fact, when I was growing up, tying Iran to Hezbollah was was the thing and it, it legitimate ties. Uh, but increasingly, it seems that there are ties to Hamas with Iran. And I guess that, that also raises the question of where does Hamas get all the technology to build as many rockets as it is? Oh, it's coming straight from Tehran, and nobody's even being subtle about it. And I think one thing that would be important for your listeners to know is Iran has funded Hamas to the tune of $70 million a year, uh, which is hard for them to co- has been hard for them to come up with, uh, particularly with the sanctions regime the Trump administration imposed on them. Now, a week or so ago, a group of uh, Hamas visited Tehran, and the announcement that came out of that visit was that they were going to up their contributions to 30 million a month. So they were going to go from 70 million a year to 360 million a year, which is, you know, an exponential increase for a country which last month was reported to be down to its last 4 billion in foreign reserves. <laughs> so, you know, they are clearly anticipating a significant windfall from the negotiations that are going on in Vienna right now to get back in the nuclear deal, which would lift a lot of the sanctions. Uh, so and they're they're telling us how they plan to spend that money, which is to send it to Hamas to restock them so they can attack Israel again. So you know it, it it is easy to cast blame at the administration, but the real blame lies with Iran, and you know they are the ones who because you know, Hamas can't do anything indigenously. You know they don't have the technology, they don't have the resources, but they're getting it all directly from Iran, and they came out and thanked them. So I mean this isn't a secret in any way. Uh, but you know, we apparently are trying to stovepipe it from the nuclear deal. Which I, so let me just say, I, I would like your take on uh, why do you think the Democrats, particularly the Obama administration, now the the Biden administration, why do you think 
they're so insistent on cutting a deal with Iran? Well, I think for them, the the structure of the deal is almost more important than the deal itself. You know, the approach of the Obama administration, which the Biden administration seems to be following as well, is that if the United States sort of curtails our ambitions and our interests in, in the, for the sake of these international agreements and organizations, the world will be a better place. And I think they sincerely believe this. Uh, and so, you know, if we, you know, if we, if we are a little bit less arrogant, if we're a little bit less America first, maybe a lot less, uh, you know, we can get into these deals that will improve humanity. It's a little bit like the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, so, so the, you know, the substance of the deal doesn't matter. The deal making is what matters. And so I think they are just convinced that, you know, if they can get into this deal and what they keep saying is it will lead to another better, you know, stronger deal. You know, this will be a process. But of course, the Iranians have a vote in all this and they have said repeatedly they are not interested in any further deal. They will take the money uh, that will come to them if the sanctions are lifted and there's no reason to think they won't just wait out the deal, continue the research that they're doing on enrichment, uh, nuclear uh, enrichment. And, you know, when the deal expires in a couple of years, work on a work on a weapon. Yeah, the deal making for the sake of deal making. Well, listen, uh, always <laughs> insightful to talk to you. I, I appreciate you being able to stop by this morning to talk about it. Just to, what a wild time. I, I sure am glad you are. Uh, in the year of so many of the Republicans out there right now who desperately need some ways to, to try to counter what's going on. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, I think, you know, as I said, the good news is the American people support the alliance with Israel. They understand the significance of it. And, you know, that that support will endure. And that that is good news. That is. Victoria Coates, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, Victoria Coates, she worked for the Trump White House. In national security, she's advised uh, Rick Perry, Ted Cruz, uh, other Republicans, uh, my friend Chip Roy down in Texas and Victoria Friends. I know they talk uh, brilliant with international policy and an amazing person to begin with. I, I'm I'm just a Victoria Coates. Of course, we've been friends forever, but uh, she has been in the National Security Council advising President Trump and uh, Jared Kushner with the Abraham Accords and the like. So she knows what she's talking about. Always great to be able to get her on the phone to talk about this stuff.